Well, that's good. Here at 12.09, we are just now in a wind chill advisory mode. <laughs> oh, well, hey, now, baby hey, everybody, everybody put on the short pants. <laughs> Who's baby up sticks. for eating lunch outside today? We're to a, um, g- give that to me again. You've got it up Wind there. Wind advisory means right around 20 below zero mm-hmm. rather than 40 below zero, which is what prompted the wind chill warning that we had had for the last, I don't know, two days or so. Yeah. Well, it's it is warming up. You know, I found this morning going outside, even though I think technically it was colder, and this is around eight thirty or so. It's probably colder this morning at eight thirty than it was yesterday yeah. at eight thirty. Yet psychologically, it felt warmer because I know that we are now on the back end of this polar right. vortex, light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Scott Warris and Eric Bilstead, Kyle Pachinski producing the big program, and uh, Jeff is off again today. He'll be back on Monday, so we're with you from noon to three the rest of the week. Uh, we won't we'll touch on Foxconn. I don't know that we're going to get into it as deeply as we did yesterday when we were coming off the, the, the news, the announcement in the morning that the jobs goal for next year was dropped from 5,200 to 1,000, but I... This is becoming harder and harder to track and to follow. And we work in the news slash talk business. I, mm. I am really having, over the last 24 hours, I'm really having a hard time parsing what's real, what isn't. That's a headline with the motivation to make you think something when that really isn't the something that's happening. And then you're trying to understand what is coming out of the Evers administration, what's coming out of the Foxconn hierarchy and and what is real and what isn't and what is really changing and what isn't it's a lot to unpack i will say this and you had it here in the news the fact that foxconn and evers have now put out this what joint statement or at least seem to be on the same page both saying the same thing yep in the last hour anyway saying that they're good this project will continue right that they're getting along well they have had constructive conversations, and they both look forward to hopefully making it to 13,000 right. jobs someday. That gives me a little bit of calm, I guess, because they're, and the Journal Sentinel had a story this morning uh, linking to a uh, an article out of uh, an Asian publication, what is it, Nikkei, is that how you pronounce it? Um, the headline here, and this is... You know, from uh, from China, the, the headline of this news outlet saying Foxconn's $20 billion projects in the U.S. and China, they've got a, a similar large project going on in a city in China, hit by growth fears. And there are some, and I, I'm not going to get deep into it because it, it'll make your head hurt. Um, yeah, the Nikkei Asian Review is, is the newspaper or the news source for this. There were certain things mentioned in there that really made you scratch your head as it pertained to interactions between Foxconn and the Evers administration. But if everything for me in my mind has now been kind of reset, knowing that these two sources or, th- or these two parties have put out a joint statement, right. which I think is a little bit... Uh, Twenty four hours old, or, or, or twenty four hours too late. Would, would we? Well, would this not have been better a, a day ago? At but this you time, you could argue. I mean, we did hear from his administration yesterday, and we did hear from Foxconn yesterday. Just it was just not lockstep. Administration said, "Hey, we've we've been talking, but yeah, we're a little surprised by this." And Foxconn saying, "Hey, no, wait, nothing to see uh, here. We're good. We're good. No, hey, we're still investing. So we'll see. We'll see." It, it, I mean, the one thing you can concretely determine. That's the right way to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that you know that the jobs are changing, 
You know that we're not going to have job as many. Goal, the, the, the job goal has changed, and then the right, the actual no manufacturing jobs, jobs or at least nowhere near what yes, nowhere near what we thought. So, which is so, so confusing. we're good. <laughs> still confusing. I, I, yeah, I just if you're confused, <laughs> we're confused. And um, here's my question: There is probably what a hundred, some hundred and fifty or more Foxconn employees right now. What do they do? What's their job? What are they doing right now yes, at this hour? Like, yeah. What are they working on? Like, what's their, what, what are they doing here? Like, what do they work on, if anything? Are they looking for talent? Probably. Are they researching and developing? You know, what, what, I mean, that's a, a little pretty, R-ing, a little a, D-ing. <laughs> I mean, that's a significant amount of people. Right. What are they doing Well, here? my guess would be that there's a certain amount of planning that has to go on. I mean, aren't you, aren't you pretty much... Working on yourselves right okay. now, building right. the infrastructure of what is still planning to be a very, very large company. And then maybe headhunting already? A little bit of that? I, I wouldn't wait. I mean, if you're going to get to that 1,000 goal by the end of next year. Yeah, I, I don't look at the project continues. The shovels, as we joked with Steve, the shovels are in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the construction continues. Construction has not halted. And if, if that is one extreme that you may have heard or seen in certain news outlets. That is not the case at all. Um, but it's the, kind of a day-to-day situation. The project has changed. The jobs have changed. Mm-hmm. Yep. But like we talked about yesterday, I think a lot of that comes with the territory of working in a technology field that has to keep you on the cutting edge of what you do. So, we'll keep you updated, the very latest, on Foxconn, and uh, I know John and company on Wisconsin's Afternoon News will certainly have the very latest there as well. And Okay, I don't, we talked about this off the air. We didn't talk about this on the air yesterday. Who's the one person, well, you know, because we talked about this off the air. Uh, the one person that I want to hear of, uh, hear from in all of this is Scott Walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is the one that, although he doesn't have a, a role in this anymore... I am dying to hear at some point, hopefully we do, and I know we're making efforts in that respect, I, I want to hear what he has to say about this, because he was the power player in that entire deal, and uh, I just think by virtue of his silence in this, and he doesn't have to say anything anymore, obviously, but I, that, that, that's the voice that I'm curious to hear from, and, and the sooner the better, I hope on this just for my own curiosity if nothing else no i, I you think, could care less well, you are i'm sorry you could not <laughs> care less you couldn't care less as to what the governor a former governor I, if, if everything were to fall through i'd be more curious than right now right now it just seems you know we're in this weird sh- you know this weird limbo period they're starting to learn the new dance you know between the parties got to learn each other's steps and you know their tendencies Still a little bit of working out going on. Who dips now. who? <laughs> In that <laughs> Great <dance>. question. <laughs> a couple of things that we want to get to today before 3 o'clock. Mitch McConnell um, has, uh, not vetoed, but he has pretty much squashed a plan by Democrats to, among many other things, make Election Day a federal holiday. And there were a ton of add-ons to a bill that ultimately led to its demise. But the idea of making Election Day a federal holiday is interesting to me. And it, it was just a, a clause or a piece of a larger pie that has since been thrown out. But I think there, there 
it's worth a discussion. If, if that is something that you would support, is that something that would be beneficial to the country? Is that something that would encourage voting? And look, if we can encourage more people to vote, why would anyone not be for that? Do you think the numbers would really change, though? I think they would. I really do. What? You, yeah, there you go. There's there's the cynical smile on your face. I've seen <laughs> that a people, lot. People would go do other things. <laughs> they would go watch movies. They'd enjoy the day Fine. off. They can do that, but before you go to the Ridge, swing on by <laughs> to your local polling place and cast your vote, well, and then go see the movie. In this bill, though, they want some of those federal government workers to actually work at the polling places, too, I thought. Which is not a dumb idea. Well... I don't know. It kind of depends. What you, is the because, average age of a polling? I know. I you're right. Worker, but you got to be careful with that because some of them work in different partisan offices, and then then you have issues or you have perceived issues that may or may not really exist, but you have to deal with. So there are some tentacles to yes. that, and um, we're going to dive into that. There, uh, Rand Paul has been awarded a nice little sum of money in the lawsuit against his neighbor who assaulted him. Remember the That's Kentucky right. senator Rand Paul. Got pummeled by his neighbor, and that was one of the weirdest stories, and that was a couple of years ago already. Busted um, ribs and everything, didn't he? He was really banged yeah, up. Yeah, he was banged up. Anyway, he's gotten a payout. Here's an interesting headline. <laughs> the interesting reason why the Gates Foundation cut its 52-week parental leave in half. I read the story, top to bottom. I'll read it to you. I did not find it interesting at all. In fact, I found it very unsurprising the reason why the Gates Foundation cut its 52-week parental leave in half. I bet you can guess the reason for that. But the first thing, just to the point of the cold, you and I were debating this before, when you deal with this cold weather. And we've been debating the, what do you do with your car? And I have held for several years now, I don't forget how I heard you know, about it, or heard you know, from a mechanic or somebody, you should not be running your car for long periods of time, quote-unquote, warming it up with the assumption or the thinking that you're helping your car. You're actually doing damage to the car. It's not good for the car to be warmed up. So and I just mean, want to settle this debate once and for all. You mean starting the car, keeping it in park, and then letting it run? Letting it idle for 10, 12, 15 minutes at a time. It's not good for the car. And I just, I, I want to just read through a couple things mm. here and just maybe we can settle this debate once and for all as we are in the <laughs> final day of this. Well, yes, once and for all as we, as we now work our way through the windshield advisory portion of the polar vortex. <laughs> it reminds me of all the, uh, the news items you see on TV. Like they have so many different cold angles. And of course, one of them, what to do with your vehicle when you start it tomorrow morning. My favorite oh, element geez. of what we've seen on uh, the television coverage of this cold, record cold stretch is the fact that they have run out of colors for the (laughs) below zero for the below zero temperatures because usually it's blue and then purple and then dark purple and darker and darker and then i find i saw niznansky the other day is like look we've run out of colors so we're just going to have it be like no color it's just a minus 67 so um i just want to get this off my chest when it comes to what to do with your car and warming it up and not warming it up we'll do that next on wtmj Twelve twenty-three. Scott and Eric with Jeff Wagner in a warmer climate this week. The rest of the week, 
I assume he made it out. We were all wondering that yesterday. He did make it out, his flight. He wouldn't tell us either way, I suppose, right? No. He's probably just sitting at home. I didn't make it out, but I took the days off. Enjoying the the scotch. (laughs) Um, So the story in USA Today, the age-old question, the great debate, how often should I start my car and let it idle in cold weather? And the answer, don't. Eric Bilstead. With frigid temperatures sweeping the country, many car owners asking, how often should I start my car to warm it up? Turns out the answer doesn't lie in the frequency. Uh, Manager of technical services at AAA says Mike Calkins. It's probably not a very good strategy to repeatedly start up your car, warming it up to keep it from freezing. If a driver were to start their engine in extremely cold weather, he says, they would need to get it up to full operating temperature, which is best accomplished how? through driving the car around. Letting a car idle requires more time for the vehicle to warm up and allows excess fuel to get into the engine, which isn't good for wear and tear, according to him. Uh, however, even after some driving, it only takes a couple of hours for the engine to cool down from full operating temperature, so on and so forth. So, you know, it, it, it really is an old wives' tale, and maybe it relates to older cars. You know, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, sure. it's, yeah, yeah. hey, honey, I'm going to go warm up the car for the next 15 minutes and then come out and it'll be ready to go. I think a lot of people are doing this, but it's not good for the engine. It's not good for the motor. On, these cars, they're built to last. They're well, much different okay. now. No, you the, can start it and let it warm up no, for five minutes. Give me a break. See, I'm, here's the thing. I've come full circle on this. I'm a huge fan of just starting my car. When I walk out there after work today to the parking lot, I'm going to fire that thing up, and I'm on my way. I'm not waiting around. But this morning, when it's God knows degrees outside, mm-hmm. I start the car, and I walk back inside, grab my tea, get all my stuff, let it run for two minutes so I can get into a nice, warmer car, and then I go in. Why isn't your car in the garage? It is in the garage. You still warm it up even though it's in the garage? Yes, it's 22 below. That's even worse than before. Why? why? My garage isn't heated. Where do you think I live? (laughs) Do you have people to do that for you? (laughs) Um, my assumption, or my assertion, rather, is that people who do this are just doing it so they can warm up the interior of the car. Yes. They're doing, but you're, you're damaging the vehicle by doing it. It's just a pet peeve of mine. It, it's wrong. It, it, it's, it's an old wives' tale if you think warming your car up for 15 minutes is going to be good for the engine. That's not, that's not the case. It's just not the case. Eric. I just like warming up the car so it's more comfortable when yeah, I get well, in it. Do you have heated seats? No, my wife does, though. So when I use her vehicle, yes. <laughs> but like I told Steve, she has the, the heated seats going in May. <laughs> does she really? All the time. My first, okay, my, my first encounter with the heated seats, uh, me, uh, some buddies and I were driving on a baseball road trip. It was July, a bunch of years ago. It was July, and we were heading to St. Louis for a Brewers Cardinals series. And I'm sitting there in the seats, and... I was in the passenger seat, so up front in the passenger seat, and just kind of, he had a new truck, and I'm just, I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm just yeah. like, you know, you're, the, the sun is beating down through the windows, and it gets hot in there, but we got the air conditioning on, and the windows are rolled up, of course, it's like 90-something degrees, and I just, I start to kind of, I'm like, man, it is warm in here, <laughs> but I, I, you know, just, all sure, right, the, yeah, yeah. the heat's on, and I just kind of adjust myself in the seat a little bit, man, it's warm, <laughs> like 30 seconds go by. It is, and I even said something. I go, it, it is really warm in this car. <laughs> then I, I put my wearing shorts, of course. I put my leg against the base of the seat, and I basically scalded my, my, my shin, and I just yell out an expletive because I'm like, <laughs> I go, it is hot in here. And they go, oh, you triggered the seat warmer. And there you go. I've never forgotten that. Every oh, time that's I a prank. 
Uh, let's see. Chris and Slinger. Do you just, Chris, you want to weigh in on this? What do you think? I do. I, what do you I got? Can't even, I can't believe we're even talking about this. It was <laughs> minus 27 this morning. If you're telling me you're not going to warm up your car so it's comfortable inside, plus for safety. Thank like you, in that Chris. In that cold of a weather, if you have like moments when it's that cold outside, if something goes wrong, I, I don't care about the engine being warm. I want my vehicle comfortable. Yes. Yes, and with with remote start, you just you do that. I don't let it warm up for two or three. Let it go for ten or fifteen. No, you're killing the car. No, no, you are not killing it. I'm an ice fisherman. I'll sit on the if it's really cold out and there's enough ice on the lake. You sit. I do your car for hours at a time. I'm going to keep my car till two hundred thousand miles. If the thing has five thousand less life miles because of me idling it, so be it. All right, thanks for the call, Chris. I appreciate Thank you, Chris. it. Um, Dennis, hang on, but we're going to get to you after the break. I got to take a break, and then Dennis is an ex-mechanic. Uh, he's going to bring a little knowledge. I assert that doing that is worse for the vehicle. You're better off letting it run for a minute or two tops, and then you start to drive, but you slowly increase your speed and warm up the vehicle that way. That's better for the vehicle than letting it idle for 15 minutes or getting in, turning it on, and flooring the pedal and you want to get up to 60 65 miles an hour right out of the gate that's not good either so from the 262 on the text line 414-799-1620 the old adage only applies to cars with the carburetor most cars made after 1990 have fuel injection so the claim Mm -hmm. that it lets too much gas in the engine is nonsense in fact, with today's overdrive transmissions, the engine is operating at only just above idle, even when you're driving at 40 to 50 miles an hour. The only thing that harms the engine is short trips in this cold weather because the engine never warms up to full operating temperatures. Hmm. The debate continues. This week, Jeff, uh, this week's, I should say, Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Oak Creek Plumbing Kitchen and Bath. Whether needing plumbing services or kitchen and bath remodeling, Oak Creek Plumbing does it all. 1237. What is that? What is that? That's my car oh. this morning. Is that actually? Did you actually record that? Yeah. Just no kidding. And it started up like a champ? You are Mr. Audio. Can you play it again. All right, hold on. Here we go. You can hear Doug Russell oh. here in a sec. Oh, there's a little bit of Doug in there. <laughs> you were, that's great. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and Fire that, right was, up. And nice that, job, that was after you uh, idled your car for 47 minutes. <laughs> no, that's great. That was the beginning of my five-minute run before I got into a nice toasty car this morning. The 414. You are beating a dead horse. It's for comfort inside the car. Thank no one you. cares about the engine. I agree. Oh, I, no, I agree with that, too. I'm, not, I'm just saying you're doing damage. It, it's not a good thing, in my unprofessional opinion. That No, I, you're right, 414. I, you're right. Pe- when people do it, they may do it under the premise of uh, warming the engine. They've got to make sure the things are various uh, functioning properly. And No, you just want it warm when you go in there. From the 608, I am an engineer. I am of the professional opinion that modern cars, like any machine, assuming all fluid levels and systems to be in good working order, are made to run. It actually does them a disservice not to operate. I assume anyone who argues the contrary to be operating with an agenda. (laughs) Oh, the agendas. All right, Dennis, you've been patient. He's in Mount Pleasant, and he is an ex-mechanic. Dennis, tell me where I'm wrong. 
Well, the oil that you poured in your car went in there as a liquid. On a day like today, that oil can be thicker than honey. You can literally turn a can of it upside down, and the oil will not come out of there. So when you start your car, Mm -hmm. there's no oil up in the engine, and you just take off. You're running a basically dry engine until that oil manages to get through the system and and that's, okay. that's why you should warm it up okay. for for a, a couple or a few minutes just to get that oil in the engine before you actually put a load on it when you load it up dry there's where you're doing damage to your engine you're not you're not damaging your engine by by starting it up and letting it run for three or four minutes okay that is what I've been saying. You're right. It's it's a couple of minutes. It's two, three minutes. And then as you start to drive, you slowly work your way up to your regular speed limit. And, and every you know everything kind of warms up and loosens up the oil you mentioned. My problem, Dennis, tell me if I'm wrong on this as an ex-mechanic, is when people warm up their cars for 15, 20 minutes at a time, just letting it idle, is, is that doing a disservice? Are they not wiser to warm it for two, three minutes and then slowly drive? Is that not the way to go? I think uh, you know you're, you're you were comparing uh, the old days with today. Yeah. I think in the old days you did more damage to your vehicle by letting it idle long term because those old those older cars had carburetors on them mm-hmm. and they had a choke, and when you started it cold, that choke was closed and it was running our a super rich mixture in there to keep that thing running and that super rich mixture a lot of that a lot of that fuel didn't get burned and that got dumped into the oil and then that was bad for the engine today with the computers and right. and fuel injection that's all controlled electronically and and that's not happening okay thanks for the call thanks for the perspective there dennis and one more here we can move on then after this with beating a dead horse is uh Jim in Delafield. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, how you doing, guys? Now you've owned uh, over you've owned hundreds of cars in your life. You say, and how would you handle this uh, this cold weather? Well, I tell you, your last caller, Dennis, just stole most of my thunder. Um, I was in the car business, sold them for thirty years, owned three hundred cars, mm-hmm. and what I was going to say is, it's never going to hurt anything by letting them idle. Um, the big point, which Dennis said which I was going to let you guys know is if there was an issue, it wasn't when it came to carburetors back in the 80s and, and, and older. So hmm. with fuel injection, you're never having an issue. You're going to have a car that's ready to go, comfortable to drive, and it won't be any issues. But that's just what I wanted to see. Hey, Jim, your absolute most favorite car you owned. Oh, jeez. Come on. You got an extra hour on your show? Just, just, <laughs> give us one. Oh, jeez. The 60 Buick uh, LeSabre Convertible. 1960s. Okay, what was she called? What was her name? She didn't have a name. I didn't have it long enough. <laughs> now, why Why that one? I don't know. I've had so many of them. I, I've had uh, cars from the 40s, the 50s, and that's when they built cars. It was fun to have a car back then. Now they're all cookie cutters. Throw them away when, they're, when you're done with them now. But more, back then, they, they were worth keeping. They had more character, and they're actually, like, built. Is what Absolutely. you're saying. Absolutely. Anywhere fun to drive. All right. Hey, wait, wait, wait. before we yeah. let you go, real, yeah. I just one more question. What do you think of the uh, 
the idea of a driverless car? Well, it's like anything. The Internet, all the things that, you know, we couldn't live without, or I guess you could say we could live without, obviously it's part of our lives now. So I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, automatic self-driven cars, but who knows? Maybe we'll learn to love it. Who knows? All right. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate the call very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Here's one for you. Why why did you and Jim naturally associate a feminine (laughs) pronoun to cars? Did you pick these? What was her name? Why are cars women? Like, why was that a... Uh, No, it's not you guys. That's just what... Generally, do I, I just? I'm a little offended. Which by is that. funny because I, I call my snowblower Gus. So, do you really? Why do I call my snowblower a, a man's name? <laughs> Boy, Gus is really—he's spewing all out of this. <laughs> um, I'm the, I found this story out of Chicago where there have been some really crazy stuff. That some some crazy scenes, I should say, some weird stuff happening out of Chicago. Did you see how they had to light some train tracks on fire? Yeah to help negate the cold that was causing the bolts in the rails to uh, kind of become dislodged because of the the, uh, contracting with the cold weather. Mm -hmm. And so they have to quite literally light them on fire. And there's images of train tracks ablaze to relax the metal and relax the bolts and, and make sure they don't become uprooted. It's interesting. But here's another one. This headline from, uh, this is the CBS affiliate out of Chicago. It takes just five minutes to save a cat's life. How to protect feral cats during the dangerous cold spell. Now, again, uh, I'm a pet. I, I don't have pets, but I'm an animal lover. I don't hate animals. I don't hate... I Probably if, if I had to pick, I'm more of a dog person than a okay. cat person. All right. All right. But I... In 37 years of living on this planet, I have always operated under the assumption and under the belief that feral cats are not good. Feral cats are wild, they unclean, can cause problems, yeah. carry disease, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, are an birds. issue, are not a good thing. Yeah, they, they can kill maybe other little small creatures. I know it's all part of the ecosystem, blah, 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 blah. But why would you want to protect feral cats during the dangerous cold spell. Um, I don't get that. The dangerously cold temps plaguing Chicago could be deadly for many outdoor creatures, including the estimated 200,000 feral cats that live in the Chicago area. So, should I just ask I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious I'm where you're going with this. this. Just say Who it. cares? <laughs> I, just, I'm sorry. Give me a call. Text me. Tell tell me I'm. I mean, am I? Is that a problem? Could we not see this cold spell as helping to alleviate the issue of I don't know having an estimated two hundred thousand feral cats that live in the Chicagoland area? Who the heck cares? What isn't this a good thing? Is is that harsh? Um, <sighs> I just I don't know. I don't see feral cats as being a valuable member of society. What about like coyotes? Are they struggling in this? Good. <laughs> Wabatosa's rejoicing. Yeah. I guarantee you the folks in Wabatosa. Wabatosa and Whitefish Bay, they're celebrating. I guarantee you the folks in Wabatosa are looking forward to finding some frozen dead coyotes, if that's the case, right? Can we just say that? 
I mean, it's probably not politically correct or, you know, I, I like animals. I love animals. But what? what is the problem with that? Just saying. 1246, Scott and Eric in for Jeff on WTMJ. We are tackling the major issues of the day. We spent the first half hour talking about how best to keep your engine in good running condition. We debated the, do you warm up for 20 minutes? Do you just warm it up for a couple and go? And now we're discussing this. It just caught my it caught my attention because it just, the headline from uh, CBS Chicago, it takes just five minutes to save a cat's life. And I was, I, and I saw, I see that and I think, oh, okay. We've talked a lot about dogs outside, you know, how do you protect your pets right, in weather yeah, yeah. like this? That mm-hmm. makes sense. Then the headline continues. How to protect feral cats during the dangerous cold spell. And I simply asked, why do we want to protect them? In Chicago, they have approximately, what did I say, 200,000 feral cats that live in the Chicago land area. A bunch of calls came in, and they all echoed the pretty much the same sentiment and we'll let uh, Dick in Clintonville kind of outline that sentiment. Hey, Dick, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, yeah. See, I just, I just couldn't help thinking about that. Um, I've seen what a cat can, how cats get after rats. Can you imagine how many rats there'd be running around Chicago and get the garbage <laughs> and everything else? But okay, here's the thing: isn't there a good chance that this cold spell is also knocking out a good chunk of that rat population as well? No. I was going to say, they survive anything, don't they? Okay. They're as bad as cockroaches. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dick. And that, that is what a lot of people are saying. Um, so it takes care of the rat population. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the rat population, Darren and Stevens Point. I find it hard to believe that someone could wish freezing to death upon any creature. Saw that one coming. Regardless of whether or not you see a need for them, there are more humane ways to deal with nuisance animals. I don't know. A cat freezing to death, that's pretty humane. You just kind of quietly pass away. (laughs) Well, there's a lot worse ways for a feral... We're talking about feral cats, people. (laughs) 200,000. Let's say 100,000 feral cats die in Chicago during this week. (laughs) You still have have 100,000. Here's the best part of this article. What about all the other animals, too, besides just... The the other feral animals? What about squirrels? But they're not feral. They're they're just normal squirrels. I don't know. What's the opposite of feral? House, House trained, house kept. Okay. Here's what humans can do to help feral cats survive the historic cold approaching Chicago. All right, so Darren and Stevens Point and everybody else who's kind of raking us. I'm lumping you in with me. I was going to say, don't lump me in there. I don't want cats dying. we're all in on this one. (laughs) You're the people raking all three of us over the coals for our harsh take on feral cats. Okay, how many of these would you do to save the feral cats? Would you leave out dry food? Wet food freezes. So would you do that? Here's one. I can see you guys doing this. Bring the cat into a warm room in your home, like a bathroom or the basement. You can release it on Friday when the weather warms up. You got a feral cat in your bathroom. <laughs> hey, Billy, Susie, don't use the downstairs bathroom. Why not, Dad? Uh, there, there's a feral cat in there. Make a well-insulated, waterproof shelter with minimal airspace to maximize warmth. A do-it-yourself shelter can be made with a plastic bin or a box. If you're using a cardboard box, cut a five to six inch wide hole in the box to create an entrance and line the box. All for a feral cat. Yeah, but then the cat won't leave, right? I mean, won't you basically have a cat living in your backyard then? Then you've got a pet. Yeah. 
How do you I mean? I, I know people like to that. leave. A friend of ours who used to work here, she she has feral cats up on her porch all the time because she she feeds loves it. Yeah, feeds she feeds them. them. And she she does it. She wants to. She's helping them. But once you feed them, they're not going away, are they? Buy a prefabricated insulated shelter from Treehouse, a cat rescue in Chicago. Price between twenty five and thirty five bucks, and the proceeds support homeless cats. Wow. They're feral cats. Even if we knock out 100,000 of them, you're still going to have 100,000 feral cats by the time the week is over. Just saying. iPhone users, WTMJ has a new and improved app. It's easier to find news stories, plus get notifications on breaking news and features stories. You can also listen live or check out show podcasts. Go to the App Store on your phone to download now. 1256, Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, Kyle Paczynski producing the show. Jeff Wagner's off. He'll be back on Monday. After the news with Eric at 1 o'clock, I'm going to dive into the, the problem that the Gates Foundation ran into after their highly acclaimed, well-publicized, and for a while, very successful 52-week parental leave program. The interesting reason, the headline says, why... They've decided to cut that in half. I don't so much as find it interesting as so much find it, uh, yeah, what did you expect? Um, you aren't a true animal lover if you spew the opinions wishing feral cats would die a horrible death like freezing. We saved two feral cats, and they are now our great indoor pets. Okay, if you want to adopt and then take them in in perpetuity and make them your new pet, that's fine. Look, I, yes, I I don't have a problem with cats. I don't have any pets right now. I don't have a problem with any animals. But if you're going to make the claim that the feral cats need to be saved because they are a vital piece of the in a part in the cog of the ecosystem and and the natural order of things, taking care of rats, taking care of rats and other little rodents to keep. Could you not also say that an epically cold spell? that wipes out a portion of those feral cats, for example, and other little creepy crawlies that don't have a home. Is that not just part of the natural order of things? And that in the history of this universe, and the history of this planet, weather events will unfold that will wipe out portions of animal populations because that's just how it goes, and this is just the natural order of things. And at some point, the feral cat population... You follow my thinking there? Do you see where I'm going? You know what it reminds me of? The paper did that big story yesterday about the emerald ash borer <laughs> and and whether or not yeah. this polar vortex would kill off the emerald ash borer. And the answer was probably not. Oh, okay. I was going to say, where are the but text messages and support people supporting? Save the emerald oh, ash borer. Create compare. an emerald ash you borer shelter in your house. Bugs. Make a well-insulated waterproof shelter. Apples and oranges. You can't make that comparison. <laughs> so. I just I can't I can't believe that people are actually setting out to save the feral cat population in Chicago during this dangerous cold spell. There are two hundred thousand feral cats that live in the Chicago land area. Let nature run its course, folks. If the feral cats are as hardy as you'd like to think and are as important a cog, then natural order will take place and the ecosystem will churn and in no time they'll be back up to two hundred thousand. But if we chop that in half, is anybody gonna lose any sleep? No, not me. One oh nine, Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, Jeff Wagner off today. You know, the other element in play as the Bucks and Toronto do battle tonight 
I was wondering about this, is whether or not Mike Budenholzer will be the coach of the NBA Eastern oh, uh, that's Conference right. um, All-Stars. Boy, he certainly should, right? Well, here's the thing. Apparently, because the, the Bucks in Toronto are fighting for the top record mm-hmm. in the East, and the Bucks right now by percentage points, and I think they have one less they, loss than Toronto. They play tonight. Big game tonight. Right, they play tonight. So... If Toronto beats the Bucks tonight and then Toronto wins Sunday against the Clippers, they've got a chance to overtake the Bucks in the standings. And then that means that uh, the head coach of Toronto would be the Eastern Conference All-Star Game coach. But if the Bucks win tonight, I think uh, Budenholzer, Coach Bud, would mm-hmm. likely be the head coach of the Eastern All Stars. Don't quote me on that, but it's it's neck and neck. What they do in the in the NBA is whoever is the head coach of the team with the best record at the break, you get the nod. Mm-hmm. Other sports do it differently, but that's because I've been wondering about that. We haven't heard at all. Giannis, of course, is going to be the captain for the East, and who are the players? As Greg talked about, who are the teammates that might be joining him and whatnot? But I have not heard about uh, Coach uh, Budenholzer. But that's how that works. So he could be the head coach of the All-Star. You think he wants to be? He did it. Or would you prefer the break? Well, yeah. He did it once before when the Atlanta Hawks, when he was the head coach of the Hawks, and they had the best record at the All-Star break. So he's done it once before. He kind of gets it. And let's be honest. I mean, what coaching exec, (laughs) shy of maybe having to draw up a play if it comes down to a final shot, what coaching is happening in an NBA All-Star game? He calls timeout, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. When do we call it timeout? (laughs) Substitutions. But even then, it's, you want to go in? No? Okay. What about you? Sure. Okay, go ahead. I mean, I don't know what coaching really goes. It is an honor, though. Sure. Oh, for sure. It it means your team has been the best. Absolutely. And the Bucks, for the most part this year, have been the, the very best in the entire NBA. It's fun, and uh, they need to take advantage of it, though. You know, that, that, there, is the, there is the adage that, uh, well, the window, the playoff window is open. You hear that everywhere. I'm a big believer in the philosophy that when the opportunity presents itself, regardless of how big the window is, you've got to take advantage. Mm-hmm. That's why last year's Brewers loss, it still stings, and it always will. You had Game 7 of the National League Championship Series. Win one game at home to go to the World Series, and you had it on your home field, and you even had the lead. It was early, but you had a you, you had a lead, and, and you couldn't win that game. You never know you when you're going to be know. back you're in right. that position. Right. So to the Bucks' point, it's they're having a special year. Knock on wood, stay healthy, and just you got to take advantage of this special year. They might be really good again next year. They, they will be as long as Giannis is playing. But you never know. You got injuries and all kinds of X factors in play. And anyway, take advantage. Take advantage. Okay, promised you this story. By the way, uh, just to the feral cats thing. <laughs> a lot of people upset. Wow, still going. The nine two zero made a good point. Apparently, this writer, this reporter from Chicago. Apparently, this writer, this reporter had nothing else to write about. To that point, if we can just pull back the curtain a little bit on our own news operations, it. Um, it can be difficult and challenging to find new ways as a news entity to cover something like this, can it not? Yeah, so this reporter did a story about saving feral cats because of the cold temperatures. Here's the issue with cold, is that there's only so many ways you can talk about cold weather when it's any other weather thing. Maybe when it's hot, it's the other one. 
But when it's snowing, when it's raining, when there are tornadoes, anything like that, it's a fluid yeah. story that is changing. And you can see what it's going to be, but here's when it's happening. So you can cover that a lot easier than when it's, okay, it's going to be cold for four days. How do you cover that story for four days? So, yes, I'm sure that comes into play a little bit. Hey, what about the, the feral cats? Okay, let's do that. Then. All right, go get that one. News. Yes, there there are those planning meetings <laughs> that go on see, and say there's the there, there's a lead. Follow but, that. But you want a, another little pullback to curtain yeah. even more. You know, it's a great national story. I guarantee you, if we send it to the network, they'll grab it. Is Jane going to the Pettit Center? It's so ironic that people were lining up outside the Pettit Center this morning in the cold so they could go inside and ice skate. <laughs> And Jane to warm did, up. Yes, to warm up into ice skating. Jane did that story today, and that is exactly, that's like, that's the recipe that the national media craves. Was the line longer today to warm up at the Pettit, or would it be longer in the middle of the hottest heat wave in the middle of July, or Great in the question. middle of the summertime, to get in to cool down at the Pettit? That is interesting. You can go swimming in the summer. You can always, what do we say, Eric? The difference between the summer and the winter is in the wintertime, you can always add layers of clothes and find a way to manage your life. In the summertime, you can only take so much off before you risk getting arrested for indecent exposure. That's wrong that you even have a rim shot on standby. (laughs) That's bad. That's bad radio. Uh. Speaking of uh, which, do you know where it's always too below? In Mississippi. No. Oh, come on, man. You're supposed to have that ready. Serious story, or more serious story, (laughs) the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, everybody knows who Bill Gates is, everybody knows who Melinda Gates is, they are, here's how we're going to do this, 414-799-1620, AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They have announced that the foundation is cutting its 52-week parental leave agreement, their parental leave plan. As the story says, and here's my question. Why do you think they're doing that? This is something that they put in place back in 2015. So it's, let's say, three years old. A policy that's three years old, they're now changing it. Can you guess why? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As the story reports, the foundation, the Gates Foundation, set the bar for parental leave incredibly high, at least for American companies, European companies, foreign companies. They have their own policies. It gave moms and dads 52 weeks of fully paid leave to spend with their new babies. As I said, the policy began in 2015. It is now ending. Employees will now get six months of paid leave. Why do you think they're changing this? What do you think has happened? Gates, smart man, successful successful company is an understatement. Why do you think the foundation and their employees there will now only get six months of paid leave? What happened? What went wrong? 414-799-1620. On the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think you can get this. This is not a hard one, but uh, help us out. 414-799-1620. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Oak Creek Plumbing, Kitchen and Bath, whether needing plumbing services or kitchen and bath remodeling, Oak Creek Plumbing does it all. 
It is 1.20. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, Jeff Wagner is off today. Be back on Monday. The interesting reason why the Gates Foundation cut its 52-week parental leave plan in half. It's a pretty phenomenal plan, wouldn't you say? 52 weeks off. Yes. Because you had a kid. A whole year. Think about that. How about that? Think about that. And the question I'm asking is, can you guess why? What is the reason that uh, Bill and Melinda Gates have said, okay, no more of this. We've been doing it for three years. Something is happening. We're going to chop it in half. You know what? Can I just uh, add this? Uh, If one of our employees was gone for even three months, let's go with three months, and then came back, I would imagine that things would be different in three months. And that's just three Mm-hmm. How you know whether workflow has changed? Some of our policies or philosophies are different. How we're covering things, you know, like the, three months is a long time in a workplace. And that's just three months. Imagine it being a year. What is our policy here? What is parental leave here? Is it? Uh, I think it's twelve. I want to say twelve weeks. Is it? And then uh, I mean, I think uh, a male, a father, can get up to two weeks paternity leave. Yeah, Mater- I, be- I believe. I have not looked into that since I'm beyond that. You should, you should probably investigate. <laughs> Where's Scott? He's taking paternity leave. I didn't know he was married. He's got a cat. What? I, I got I to take care of my feral cat. I'm on leave. I have so many cats. I need time. By the way, you're, you're making a lot of enemies, by the way, on your, your feral cats. Well, but but, moving on. Yes, we'll move on. And um, Yes. All right, Bill in Mount Pleasant. Good afternoon, Bill. You're on WTMJ. What is your guess as to the reason why the Gates Foundation is cutting its 52-week parental leave plan? Well, I think, I mean, they have the best intentions. Uh, they want to do the best for the employees. But when you're gone for a year, you're going to find somebody that's qualified to do the same job. And now when that person comes back, what do you do with the other person? You know? Okay, so you're saying the person that was filling that role was so good or... Well, just... or as good or better, but now you've got two people doing the same, qualified to do the same job, and now you've got more people than you really need on your payroll. Right, if you're gone that long, you actually need to like have someone take your job, whereas if mm-hmm. you're gone for 12 weeks or something like that, everyone can kind of pitch in and handle it for a little while. Right. right. Yep. yep, all right. That's a good guess, Bill, and you're on the right track. Keep listening, and I'll, I'll disclose the full details here, Bill in Mount Pleasant. Uh, real quickly, before I do that, to the text line, 414-799-1620. Uh, the 414 says, uh, how about this? Nobody was taking full advantage of the entire year off, and they wanted to work earlier than just one year. They wanted to come back before the full leave period had ended. Uh, 262. I bet people started taking advantage of it. They started having one kid after another. Just a guess. Similarly, the 920, too many people having babies. Yeah, you you could potentially never be back at work for a couple of years, I suppose, (laughs) if you plan it, right? Nine months and get a little time. It's doable. It is doable. It's it's workable. The interesting reason why the Gates Foundation cut its 52-week parental leave in half. I'll give you the answer next.
126. Okay, here's the answer. Michelle in Waterford, uh, one last guest texting in. I worked at a company that offered that. Most that took a year never came back. Here's what happened. And it's, it's, it's just an interesting little lesson here in maybe a great workplace perk. But does it have the lasting and the staying power? Does it have the la- ability to last? 52-week parental leave. 52-week parental leave. That's yeah. what the foundation for the Gates put forth in 2015. Now it's not working. You're going to get six months of paid leave. Still generous, I think, in a lot of circles. A year away caused disruptions in the daily operations, as USA Today reports. A year away caused disruptions in the daily ops and the execution of the organization's mission according to a post from the Chief Human Resource Officer. Along with the reduced leave, the foundation said it will add 220000 stipend for new parents returning to work to spend on child care costs and family needs. Here's what the HR guy said. We received feedback and saw that an actual practice that a year away was more disruptive than we anticipated. The parental leave absences created backfill positions Two and three layers deep. On one team, for example, 50% of the staff, half the staff, was either on leave or staffed by those in backfill positions, making the regular work of the foundation far more difficult than expected. The year-long absences caused issues in finding the right people to fill the vacant jobs. Mm-hmm. So th- yeah. There's one right there. How do we find the right people that are going to be able to do this job for a year? A year, not just a month or two. Um, Rice, the HR rep, said bringing returning parents, this is the point you made, bringing returning parents up to speed in positions that had evolved yeah. since they were away was a further burden. A you gotta, year. You, you haven't been here since January 31st of 2018. Okay, uh, things have changed. We got a new computer system, yeah, a new software. Oh, by the way, here's a new guy doing this and a gal doing that. Managers also told us some common challenges were magnified by the leave duration. Ultimately, we concluded the 52-week leave was hindering the foundation's purpose to maximize our ability to help people around the world live healthy, productive lives, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's see. Netflix, by the way, was an early adopter of the similar policy in 2015. Although Netflix folks say new parents generally take four to eight months paid leave. Facebook, by comparison, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, American Express all offer paid parental leave between 16 to 28 weeks. Six months is the sweet spot. That's what uh, the Gates Foundation is betting on. Rice said, the HR person for the Gates Foundation, said a growing body of evidence suggests that six months may be the sweet spot for parents to spend time with their family and have a smooth return to work. They'll continue to see how they can improve the parental leave program, blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't think it's that easy for parents to come back to work. That, that can be difficult for a mother especially to come back to work. It was for my wife. But if you do it for even longer, if you make them have the opportunity to stay away six months or a year, that would make it even harder to come back, wouldn't it? You've spent all that time. You've grown accustomed to this life of being able to spend all the time with your kid or kids. You're, you're on leave, so you know you have a job to go back to eventually. But then when you actually have to do it after a year? What's to- the hard, what is the hardest element? What is the hardest part of it? Is, is it the of, I'm of- used to a... I mean, you, you have the parental 
uh, it's category. Tough walk, it's tough to walk away from your child after right. you've been spending you know, 23 and a half hours with them every day for three straight months or even longer. But so then for, you have the, I need to get um, reacclimated to my workplace. Yeah, then there's that, Where too. you have all these potential oh, changes. Matt works in account payables now. i got to learn about Matt. No, where's the printer now? It's really interesting. Um, I, I just I find it interesting how, uh, and give credit to the Gates Foundation, they've tried it. They say it clearly does not work. And here's something that was, you know, very forward thinking. And, and a lot of companies, as I listed off, those, those that have tried similar efforts and, and similar length leave policies, a lot of companies use this to try and attract workers and, and bolster a more um, positive workforce and, and, and appeal to those workers who might otherwise look elsewhere. But Gates Foundation saying that a full year for parental leave just doesn't work for a myriad of reasons, and it's changing. That's interesting. And they're evolving as well. One thirty-seven on a Thursday. It is the last day of January. We are at uh, three below here at Radio City in Milwaukee. Uh, Groundhog's Day is uh, when? Saturday. That's soon already. Mm-hmm. I, I I never remember when it is. I thought it was middle of Fe- oh my February second. What if his what, what if his uh, what if his little little nest is frozen over? Well, no. Saturday it'll be yeah, it'll be out. fine. It'll be a mob house at the zoo. How many more weeks of winter are left if the groundhog can't even get out of the hole? (laughs) He's just... What's the name of our uh, groundhog at the Uh, zoo? You know what? Sparky? Fluffy? uh, I I can look it up. I know we just heard recently. Because they got a new one. I think they had a year or two where they didn't have one, right? Yeah, we didn't. We were getting reports from other ones around the state, other zoos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. All right. The biter. We had that one groundhog that bit the mayor. And that Sun Prairie. Yes, the Sun Prairie. Yeah, that's right, because we were reporting on the Sun Prairie groundhog. What if you get bitten? What does that mean? <laughs> what's, what's the... 12 more weeks 12 of winter. 12 more weeks of winter and a new mayor. Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, has ripped the headline, Democrat plan to make Election Day a federal holiday. Now, I want to just parse something because I want to get your thoughts on this at 414-799-1620. And this has been debated you know, on and off at times. The idea of making fe- uh, a federal holiday out of Election Day, is that something you would support? Let's just start there. Now, I said I want to parse this because the bill that McConnell, they say, shredded, because it was brought up from by House Democrats, there was a lot on this. There was a lot of meat on this bone. And there were, by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six, at least six other elements, as is the case with most legislation that comes out of Washington. There's a lot of pieces to it. And there's a lot of reasons that a, bo- a vote, a, a, a lot of reasons that a bill gets voted down, and oftentimes it's because of all the other stuff that was attached to it. And that is exactly what happened here. I'm not debating if Mitch McConnell was right or wrong to vote to 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 not bring this to a vote. 
in the Republican-controlled Senate. I'm just curious on your thoughts about whether or not it would be beneficial in this country to make Election Day a federal holiday. The Kentucky Republican, as the story says, made this comment using a floor speech. He ridiculed the measure as a power grab, specifically for wanting to make Election Day a federal day off. And and McConnell said this, just what America needs, another paid holiday and a bunch of government workers being paid to go out and work for, I assume, our colleagues on the other side on their campaigns. The signature legislation was introduced by House Democrats. It would encourage private employers to also make Election Day a holiday. It would also require poll workers to provide a week's notice if poll sites are changed and make colleges and university voter registration agencies in addition to local departments of motor vehicles, so on and so forth. McConnell, however, cast the legislation as one that puts taxpayers on the hook by creating generous benefits for federal bureaucrats and government employees. He said it would create a new government subsidy, blah, 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 blah. Okay. He says their bill would make Election Day a new paid holiday for government workers and create an additional brand new paid leave benefit of up to six days for any federal bureaucrat who decides they'd like to hang out at the polls during any election. See what he's saying there? Like I say, there were other elements of the bill that ultimately led McConnell to his decision. But just on its face, on the surface, would we as a nation benefit to have Election Day a federal holiday? 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just don't think that many people would actually go vote on that day, or any more than that already do. They just get a nice ho- They get a day off. Kind of like Memorial Day or any other day that is off. But if on that day off you could spend whatever, however long it takes you to vote, and I realize there are some longer lines on the presidential election day, and that's, you know, is that not better for our nation? Is that not better for the union? Oh, to give an opportunity for to someone give an to an opportunity, opportunity. Sure, of course. Or, or of, at least make it, make it more advantageous to vote if if it encourages more people to vote because they have a day off if they are a federal employee and then obviously the encouragement coming for the private sector we've seen other holidays somewhat follow suit so then we would end up getting off or someone working any business might have off on that day right there are private businesses that then follow the lead of the federal government for example we we have Boy. seen that happen with mlk yep, day yep, you're in right. recent years not everyone has mlk day off i know here at uh, good karma that yep, it, that, that is a company holiday but that was not the case for example under uh, journal broadcast right, when we right. were owned by them that was not the case and and that has certainly become more more popular more commonplace now you know what i like about it other than it would give me a little bit more free time to go vote or whatever my kids would still be in school right because they don't they don't need off to vote so then that gives me a whole day to do other things, <laughs> run some errands, go handle some stuff that I wouldn't be able to handle with the kids until. Think about that. Again, though, might forget to vote. 414-799-1620. Real easy question here. Is it better for our nation if Election Day was a federal holiday? 414-799-1620. We'll take your calls next on WTMJ.
Should Election Day be a federal holiday? 414-799-1620. Or answer it this way. Are we as a nation better off if Election Day was a federal holiday? Would that make it easier for people to find the time to vote? Would that encourage more people to get to the polls. Is that the one thing that probably prevents someone from voting? They can't get there in time or the line's too long in the morning because they got to get to work. They get home late, got to get home, can't stop in after. Is that. It would give you no excuse not to vote, Mike in Waukesha says on the text line. Yeah. For a democratic country, Democratic Republic, mind you, uh, we have the least motivated voter turnout from the 309. If Election Day is a holiday, there would be no need for a lengthy early voting time frame. And for those people who are perhaps uh, turned off by the early voting, who think maybe it's been too expanded, I know there's been some restrictions now put into place here in the Wisconsin, but overall some people think it's, you know, it, 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 it allows for maybe some shady stuff to go on if people have a big window in which they can vote. Well, you don't need a big window to vote if it's a, if it's a federal holiday. You could take Monday off, make it a four-day weekend. Take Okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> what about voting on a weekend? Maybe we can get to that. Why not, vote? Why not, have, a, why not have a Saturday? A Tuesday. Hmm. I mean, a Tuesday. People are busy on weekends. We do stuff. Could you, which would be more advantageous? Make it a federal holiday? Is that, would that make it easier, air quotes here, easier for people to vote, or if they did it on a weekend? We, a Saturday or a Sunday? Nah, Tuesday. Tradition. Make it a holiday. <laughs> Charlotte. Wall Street's closed. Northern Illinois. <laughs> she chimes in. Hey, Char. Hi, calling from the failed state of Illinois. Uh, I think How cold is it by you, Charlotte? Oh, I don't know. It was 23, 22 below zero uh, this yeah. morning and yesterday morning. Are you concerned about the feral cats in the Chicagoland area? <laughs> I would be, yes. Really? Uh, anything out there. We're, you know, we're not even getting our mail. But uh, <laughs> Okay. So, Charlotte, what, what do you think of uh, this, j- just hypothetically speaking here? It's not going to happen, but uh, what do you no, think? No, but I, I, the em- your employer now has to allow you time off to vote right now. It's unnecessary. And, by the way, we have early voting in Illinois about three weeks before the election at various locations, and even on Saturday and Sunday before the election you can vote. So you do get your weekends off for early voting. Uh, we have same-day registration and voting. Isn't that the same thing that's causing a problem up there in Wisconsin? You can register and vote, uh, cast your ballot on the same day. So you don't think that this would encourage a higher turnout? No, not really. Um, it would help. Well, let's see if all the unions, let's say the teachers' union had all their people had a day off. They could, they would have time to get everybody to the polls. Anyway, well, th- th- but but that's exactly right. Okay, I mean, yes, it you you could have different unions and different organizations spend that time to rally more voters, but. The premise being is getting more people to vote, is that a bad thing? Now, whether they're voting for what you want or for the candidate you want them to vote for is a separate thing. If more people turn out and vote, is that not at the end of it all a good thing? 
if they're informed and if they're citizens. Um, well, sure, you know, of course. I, I know what you're trying to say, yeah. but I don't. I think there are quite a few opportunities to vote now. There's no excuse for not voting, really. Thanks for the call, Charlotte. Good to hear from you, Charlotte, Northern Illinois. Um, so you're skeptical as to whether this would really work. Huh? I just don't think that many people would actually change their behavior because of it. I mean, would you really see a dramatic increase in people voting? The only people, the 262 text in, the only people that a federal holiday helps would be federal, state, county, and city employees. Oh, wait, right. that's probably the majority of people anyway. Never mind. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's not going to happen, but uh, it, it's interesting to kind of just toss out there from time to time. It would certainly, I think, restrict the idea of the early voting period, what is necessary. How how early would your early voting period have to set in if we know that it's a holiday to go and vote? I don't know that I would completely poo-poo the idea of the weekend. If we're talking about the ease of voting, I don't know that, uh, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. It's a Saturday or a, a Sunday? Weekend? People do all kinds of oh, things. Oh, I, I don't know. Look, just because you got you, you have children, yeah. so I realize that. Everyone but I, I just, has children. No, I know, but I, I, I don't know. It could be a little easier. Some people have got to get up. Sometimes they're at work, you know, early in the morning. We can't afraid, uh, afford to, to make the time to hit the pole. Then they're home. They got. Oh, I forgot. To, I got to stop at the grocery store. But by then, the polling place was closed, and people just forget. You get caught up in in the day to day. Work-a-day like, world. Know, Charlotte already said it. Like You already have the opportunity to vote ahead of time. You are, the employers, for the most part, will find ways for you to get out there and do it. I mean, there are opportunities there. I, just, I don't have a problem with it, per se. It's not like I would fight it, but I just don't think it would actually change the number where you have that many more people voting because of a federal holiday where government employees don't have to work. Scott and Eric in for Jeff. It's 152 on WTMJ. How much do you think Rand Paul, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, was awarded last night in that lawsuit against the neighbor who attacked him uh, over almost well, a year and a half ago, fall of 2017? He was busted up pretty good, wasn't he? Didn't he break a couple of ribs? Rib, yeah, he had, uh, let's see, cracked ribs. Um, I think that was the worst of it. I don't have the list of all his issues here. All his, uh, How much do you think he was awarded last night? The jury came back and said... 800000 580000 oh, Okay. Jury on Wednesday evening awarded uh, Paul um, 7800 in medical damages, 200000 for pain and suffering, 375000 for punitive damages. Of course, he was attacked in his home of Bowling Green, Kentucky, by his neighbor and a former colleague of his as well. Six broken ribs and bruised lungs. There it is. Six broken Jeez. ribs and bruised lungs. Rand Paul saying, we've got to get the message out here that violence is not the way to resolve our differences. I think we really can resolve our differences in a peaceful manner, and I think that's what the jury said here. He added, if you've got a problem with people, let's talk it out. Let's have a peaceful exchange. Don't resort to violence. The attacker was sentenced to 30 days in jail. This was back uh, last summer, along with a year of supervised release after pleading guilty to assaulting the member of Congress. His attorney denied any political motivations in the assault. Remember some of the, I'm just remembering now, some of the backstory there. They had been, 
kind yeah, of like they, neighbors they at issues, odds for yeah. a while, and then it they had issues with flowers or something. Flowers and gardening along the uh, property line, and Isn't that amazing mowing his lawn too or too early in the morning <laughs> and something like that. According to the plea deal, here's what it was. Hey, we shouldn't laugh. He had six broken ribs and a lung issue. According to the plea deal, his neighbor said he had quote had enough after seeing the senator stack more brush onto a brush pile. <laughs> but you've got a lot going on if that's that the amazing? trigger. Like, doesn't that make? I don't know how your neighbor's situation is where you're at, but man, that like that is the most stressful thing for me. If I have a bunch of neighbors I don't get along with. And I, I Do thankfully, you? no, we have a great neighborhood. Love my neighborhood. Absolutely love them. Make for great radio if you just called them out right no, now and I, we could no, dive I into that. No problems with them. But like I, that would stress me out if there was like a guy causing trouble, constantly doing things. Have oh. you had the same neighbors for a long time now? Mm-mm, like three or four years. Well, I've had luck throughout my, my adulthood of right. having decent neighbors, which is great. That can be one of the most... Just day-to-day upsetting things for a person. If, if You can have everything going great. Your job can be great. Your marriage can be great. The kids can be doing super in school, and, and everything's harmonious at, in the house. But if you have a bad neighbor, that can just completely throw your entire life off kilter. Just passive-aggressive, pulling all kinds of stuff. I interviewed a guy once for a story who said that his neighbor was upset that the ki- his this other guy's kids were jumping on his tree stump that he put nails he screwed in and put nails in the tree stump so the kids would step up instead of just asking hey don't 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 jump on the tree stump put nails in so the kids would step on it that was his way of uh, anyway that's that's a good neighbor right there. <laughs> and then the kids found out the hard way not to jump on the tree stump. Yeah, right. That's a, what... a, a football, a basketball, a baseball that continuously goes over the fence line or over the property line onto a neighbor's prop. That can be impetus for a lot of issues with neighbors. Yeah, but life is too short. If you're getting upset over a basketball. I'm trying to remember that as a kid. We, we, we had an alley, and so you share back, you know, the alley runs yeah, yeah. backyard to backyard. And a lot of times, football, basketball, baseball, whatever it was, because you're playing in the alley, mm-hmm. would go over the fence. So this neighbor who we affectionately called Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> <laughs> to his face. He has since passed. Did Stop point. Um, and uh, Mr. Potato Head would yell at us. And we were always scared that we would... And it, it, it was just... There was a... He wasn't like a side-by-side neighbor. It was across the no, alley. Opposite. So you didn't have to deal with it as much. It's not like my parents so had did to you live have to like, So he didn't like you climbing over the fence to get the They ball. would lock... It, it was a chain-link fence, but he would... You know, master lock or padlock the the gate. There was a, a regular gate Which you could open, yeah. go in. But he would lock that, so you'd have to climb the fence, jump in, and then jump back out. And he would yell at us for getting the ball, and it just it just made for an awkward. Oh man, the ball went in Mr. Potato Head's so what yard. Would you rather again. have happen like the ball just sit there forever, or would you I, like take it and bring it inside? We did leave. Sometimes you just leave it. You just let it go. And and are you sure he just wasn't misunderstood? Like the no, the he old would, guy. Yeah. In Sandlot. With, with the Beast. Wasn't that the name of the yeah, dog, the yeah. Beast? No, the, we, we didn't have that scary dog on the block. But no, that, it was just, he was just an unhappy, not nice guy. And there you have it. Hmm. Two o'clock. Let's check the news headlines after this with Eric on WTMJ. We continue here, the Wagner List Show. Scott Warris and Eric Bilstad with Kyle producing. Kyle is the one common denominator in the program today and tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, 
we got the big pop culture corner. That's two thirty-five tomorrow. Is that still a thing? Is that we're still doing? Is that still? You want to do it? I think we could. I think we could find Ooh. something pop culturey to do. Would it be a cold weathery one or? Or is it a, do we, do we go Super Bowl angle? Oh, by the way, your favorite Super Bowls. <laughs> this Super, a big fan of the this, Buccaneers uh, and uh, Raiders. Ooh, that was a good one. <laughs> good one. Do you feel any hype for this Super Bowl? Obviously, the Packers are not in it, and if they were, our lives here at ye old flagship right. would be completely different. I get that, but I just sense absolutely no buzz. No, nothing for this Super Bowl. It's the unfortunate matchup. If Had it been the Chiefs and Rams, ooh, last time they played, they each scored 50 points. That would have been exciting. Had it been the Patriots and the Saints, then you have Drew Brees. You, you got know, the old men yes, quarterbacks yes. going at, the two old codgers. But instead, you got, you got Rams, Patriots. You have the yeah. Patriots who are in it again, and nobody outside of the New England area, and more specifically the Boston area, care everybody else is ready for the dynasty to end let's move on we need something new that's just old and boring and then you have the los angeles rams that are just this transplant team yeah i mean you you even have a hard time getting la fans to show up in full force for their team Mm -hmm. so if you're a a st louis fan that's what i was just gonna say you who are the biggest losers in all this who are the biggest do they root for him? Are they rooting for I mean, who are they rooting for this weekend? Well, that is a good question. Isn't uh, Mike Spaulding is from the St. Louis area, right? Yeah, but he's a Cowboys guy. Ah. Yeah, I don't... Um, I'm just trying to think. What would you do if you are a St. Louis fan? Because I my my instinct tells me that they are so... Loathe to Stan Kroenke, who's the owner of the Rams, who moved them from St. Louis to L.A., that are you just so spiteful that you root mm-hmm, against mm-hmm. them because you hate that guy so much? Or do you still root for the Rams because, well, they've only been in L.A. a few years now, and I still remember going to games downtown in the Dome. And But, again, over here in the Wisconsin area, I just I don't sense a lot of hype. And, you know, another thing that I don't like is the fact that they have pre-released a lot of the commercials. Yeah, that's a new thing now. The last few years, yep. they've really been doing that. Because if the game has no buzz, why are you watching it for the ads? And that now, is, yeah. whether it's already on television or whether it's just, you know, online, Twitter and you know the, the, the social media element releases all these Super Bowl yep. ads now. Yep. So I, why should I watch because of that? And you got to get more bang for your buck if you're the advertiser, so... You know what though? I I will never not watch it. I'm a huge fan. I just love the I love the pomp and Say, pageantry. Oh, the P and the P, the I pomp and the don't, pageantry. Don't you, know, don't you want to watch it just for the just to see the national anthem, just to see the excitement? Like it's just it's just a fun. It's one of my favorite days of watching football, even if the two teams I could care less about. How engaged are you in the halftime show? Because one thing you did not mention right there is the halftime show. You mentioned the ads. You mentioned the pomp and the pageantry. Always always watch it. I I have had favorites over the years, and I've had some that have been a little meh. Always watch it. I don't understand the controversy. I mean, I, I get the controversy over Maroon 5 and the whole Colin Kaepernick kneeling thing because there are a lot of musicians who did not want or would not perform at the halftime show because of their support for Colin Kaepernick. That I, underst- I understand that, but I love how Maroon 5 not holding a news conference. That you know, Every year they hold this halftime news conference. I can't believe they're dodging it. 
I don't need to hear what he has to say about anything. Like, like it's a, it's not. A you just time. want a good halftime show. Yes, yes. Give me twenty minutes of solid musical performing, and I I will watch that. Whether it is a classic rocker, U two or Paul McCartney, or whether it's somebody more current right. and up to date, Beyonce. I'm always curious Maroon if Fox. like Red Hot Chili Peppers will come in because they always seem to be the band that shows up halfway through. Well, then, what do you think of this headline that says, R.I.P. to the Super Bowl halftime show, no longer a cultural institution? I guess the first thing I have is, or the first point I would just raise is, when was the halftime show defined as a cultural institution? You'd have to be able to name them all if you really thought it was that. I mean, how many can you really remember? Do you remember who it was for the Packers-Steelers? Packers, ooh, Packers, oh, because that was eight years ago now already, which, by the way, time flies, time flies. Do you remember who it was for Patriots-Rams? That one I'll never forget. Yes, because that was Justin Timberlake. No, it was U2. U2 was right after 9-11. Oh, yes. He had the coat. He opened up his coat, had the the American flag on the inside of his coat. And then they had those banners that they lowered from the roof of, uh, what was it, uh, the Superdome? Patriots-Rams. Yeah, Superdome. 2002. And, and they listed all the names of all the, yeah, all the people awesome? who passed away. Won't forget that one. In the attacks. Well, then when was Justin Timberlake that was, and Janet Jackson? That was maybe... Years oh, before that? No, I think that... Oh, four maybe? Yeah, I remember that one. And that might have been Patriots and Panthers. <laughs> I want to say Patriots Panthers. I'm totally it was just into Patriots the and fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah. Your odds are pretty good. Yeah, I'm at least halfway right. So the, the article detail. It, there's the headline. So my first question is: Was the halftime show ever really a cultural institution? Maybe for some people. And I admittedly have not been following the controversy of this year's halftime show. I admittedly. Look, once the Packers were eliminated from the playoffs, <laughs> kind of my football, my football attention has quickly transitioned to basketball you, season. You, I'll be still, you still consume the game? Oh right? yeah, no, I watch the championship games and the Saints debacle at the end and all that stuff. But I, I had not realized that there was this much of um, con- uh, controversy. There, there was this much angst over the fact that. Because of the way the NFL and teams have reacted to Colin Kaepernick and specifically have not employed him as a participant on a team now because of everything we know, that a lot of artists have taken to declining the opportunity to perform at the Super Bowl. Uh, The article details about how Atlanta should have been a great exhibit for a number of artists, specifically in the rap, mm-hmm. the R&B, and the hip-hop yep, industry, because yep. Atlanta is kind of a an epicenter for some really talented artists yep. that have, in large part, said, nope, no thank you, taken a stand in support of Colin Kaepernick. And thus, you've got the Maroon 5 controversy as to whether or not they would take part and how they're not going to do a news conference and all this other stuff. And I had not realized or recognized, and maybe you disagree, maybe you agree, I don't know, that the the halftime show had turned into this platform on which to express opinions on the stage of a Colin Kaepernick situation. I mean, I I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. I just didn't realize that it had evolved to that. Yeah. Naively so? 
Well, no, I, I think it makes sense that it has. I think over the years you've seen different things done in a halftime show or wherever where you, if you have an opportunity for the really the nation to be watching, and is it hypocritical if you are defense or defend uh, Colin Kaepernick and you support what he has stood for? No pun intended. If you support that and then to go and enjoy the limelight of being the halftime performer for the Super Bowl, is that a hypocritical thing? So them bowing out makes sense. I mean, I get it. I understand why they would choose to do that. It's an unfortunate thing that it becomes a you know, part of the football game, which really is all this is, is a football mm-hmm. game. But, I mean, I get why they would say, all right, I'm out because I believe in this other guy who I feel has been cast in the shadow and thrown out from the NFL. It's interesting to think that here's a guy who has not played a down of football in the National Football League for several years now and still casts this shadow and his influence is still impacting the biggest football game of the year, and it will on Sunday. Won't be talked about, I bet, though. I don't think there'll be any mention of it. On the telecast? On the broadcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably not. That is something that uh, NFL CBS sure, has yep, this year. CBS. Oh, by the way, that's the other thing. So what? CBS, do you know what that means? Jim Nance is going to have one of his great shticky slogans Close. as soon as the final zeros hit on the scoreboard. It means Tony Romo. The national spotlight for Tony Romo, who people are in love with now because during the championship games, he was calling every play. Well, that that's his thing. And he, he kind of found that niche in his... What is now his second year, right? Yeah, second year in, so in the booth. See. I'm curious to see how he does. Everyone's going to be watching. The thing that bothers me with Tony Romo is not his ability to play, call, and predict <laughs> at a incredibly successful rate. I think that's kind of his good. thing. Yeah, he's good at it. It's his childish enthusiasm, his genuine, albeit, and I give him, it's not phony. He loves football. He gets so excited and so fired up, and then his voice, and oh, Jim, can you believe it? We're sitting in Kansas City, and it's the AFC Championship game, and just calm down, dude. It's your job now to be a a broadcaster. You've got to have some semblance of composure, and you have, there are moments to be filled with emotion and let that take over, but it's still at some times, it's okay, Tony Romo, calm down. Sure. You're supposed to be broadcasting the AFC Championship game. But you're right, his ability to predict what's happening has been pretty uncanny, and uh, this is as big a stage as it'll get for yeah. him in his young broadcasting so we'll career. see how it goes. See how right he and, is. And uh, thumbs up on Maroon 5 or not? You like it? Halftime show? What do you mean? Do I like the choice? I, yeah, I'm, not, just, I'm, I'm not really a Maroon 5 guy, so whatever. So you don't but, like it? No, I'll watch it. I, I mean, It's hard for me not to watch it, so I would never be like, oh, that's a terrible choice. You know, I, I'm going to watch whatever it is. It'll be interesting to see who pops on. As well. Yeah, that's, there's that's always, what I always a look, oh, yeah. surprise cameo yeah. by whoever. That, you know, combination of Britney Spears and Aerosmith. You know, it's always like this random combination of people. Coming down. Yes. Uh, ah. So that's what I want. I want to see. So who do I want coming out with Maroon 5? No one from The Voice. That's all I'm asking. I don't want to see Gwen Stefani. None of that. None of that. I want someone completely out there, completely in a different genre, coming out there and jamming with them. 221, Scott and Eric in for Jeff on WTMJ. That's actually that's good. Kyle, tell, say here what you tell, tell everybody. Tell everybody at home what you just said to me. Uh, I was basically saying, you know, Tony Romo can predict 
anything that they're about to do on the field, which is pretty crazy to see. But how come he couldn't be that successful in reading <laughs> and getting that scheme when he was playing on the field? Yeah, good point. My guess is it was uh, or it is easier for him to predict and read what is about to happen. And but he's not reading. It was, it was tougher for him then to okay. I'm recognizing this, but I can't physically beat it on the field. If Correct me if I'm wrong, but generally he's reading the offense. He's not reading the defense. He's not saying, "Oh, they're going to do true." A, yeah, this no, inside linebacker blitz right here. It's always, "Oh, they're going to go outside of this guy," or "Oh, you're looking right. at this matchup. They're going to pitch to him." He does seem to know exactly what the offense should be doing and like what is what is going to be yeah. happening seconds yeah. before it happens. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought that uh, was pretty interesting how he couldn't really have that same spark or edge against uh, any defenses. Yeah. But I also said that's why he's been. That's why he was so excited to be calling the AFC Championship game because the closest he that's ever as got close to. As he's ever gotten to a championship <laughs> game, and now as close as he will uh, have ever gotten to be in a Super Bowl. That's all right. It also tells you. Now we're getting really into the. People don't care about the nuts and bolts of the football play-by-play play-by-play teams. It also tells you just how bad, uh, just how bad um, uh, Phil Sims had gotten in working with uh, <laughs> yeah. Jim Nance. Phil Sims, he was he he had he was like he got hit by the stupid stick for the last five six years of his TV career. He would he would contradict himself mm-hmm. yep, yep. in a matter of moments. And anyway. It's Jim Nance, and it's Tony Romo, and if you're looking for the game, it'll be on CBS, the big game on CBS on Sunday, Maroon 5, the halftime show. You know what we should do tomorrow? Maybe we'll do this, some sort of pop culture uh, corner. Thing. I'm a, I love the the prop bets, and I love the, the crazier the prop bet, the better. Yeah. What color Gatorade? Will the winning coach be doused with? Will it be blue or red or orange? So, Will the, it be water or Gatorade? Someone knows this already, though. So can't they impact the betting? Someone has to know what the Gatorade color would be, at least before game time would know. What about the anthem? You can bet on the over-under for the length of the anthem. I mean, if, you, if you're singing it or if you're close to the person who's singing it, mm-hmm. wouldn't you already know how long it's going to take? Can't you alter the bet? And make a lot of money? Let's see here. You're going to make me look it up right now. Fave, uh, let's see, five. Oh, that's funny. Five crazy prop bets for this weekend. You probably could put money on it. Oh, I'm sure you, I mean, you can you, go to you, Vegas. You could put money on it and to actually impact. You know, you, you have things like who scores the first touchdown. Those are things related to the game. Eh, we'll look it up for tomorrow. We'll bring it to you tomorrow. Some of the more funnier prop bets that you can find this weekend. And remember, now that gambling is becoming more accepted and mm-hmm. it's now legalized yep, in a yep, lot yep. of different areas, still not here in Wisconsin, still waiting on that. Are you surprised that that hasn't gotten any traction yet? That decision came down, what, last summer? No, it'll happen. I think it's here, here in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's just a matter of well, it, it's going to happen in Potawatomi and in, yeah. in Oneida, in uh, Ho Chunk, and in the Indian Gaming Casino floors. I, I don't think it, it's going to take a long time before it happens. Where you're going to Miller Park and you can yes. bet on who's going to score yeah. the first run that inning. So there's no, you know, I I vividly remember as a kid, um, my mom bringing home the little, you know, her her office workplace would have the little. Uh, 
Super Bowl squares. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm in one that, of those. That is technically illegal, right? I, I'm not in one of those, I mean. 228, Scott hey. and Eric in for Jeff. Yes, no, I'm not. WTMJ. few minutes left here in the wagner show with Eric Bilstead. I'm Scott Warris. Yeah, so this poll, tell me if, 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 if this surprises you at all. 414-799-1620, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this surprises you or maybe you agree and fall in this category. As reported uh, from PBS, after a year marked, talking about 2018, a year marked by mass shootings, Deadly natural disasters, and of course a contentious midterm election season, most Americans remain optimistic about what lies ahead for the world. That's the key phrase, ahead for the world, here in 2019, according to this poll. 60, I should have asked, no, I just said the answer. I should have asked you, Eric, what, what do you think the percentage was that said they were optimistic? 60% of Americans right. said they were optimistic. That sounds high. That's what I thought. While 37% said they're generally more pessimistic when it comes to what's going to happen here in this year. Here is something that will not surprise you. The results link to political affiliation. So, I'll ask you this way then. What percentage of Republican voters were optimistic? What percentage of Democrats are optimistic? What percentage of independents? Oh. Or who who do you think was the highest? Who is among most Republicans, Democrats, and Independents? Of that most optimistic. Most optimistic. Who had the highest percentage of optimistic Republican respondents? Yes, sixty nine percent of registered GOPers are optimistic about the year. Fifty three percent Democrats. Fifty six percent of Independents. The director of the poll, it's a Marist poll. When people says when people think about their personal lives, they're certainly more optimistic. And when they think about politics and news around them, they're feeling more pessimistic. Okay. I find that interesting, that when one thinks outside of their own little cocoon, their own world, man, I don't feel good about uh, what's happening over in uh, Korea. I don't feel what's happening maybe um, across the country on the East Coast in Washington. I'm not in Washington, but I don't feel good about what's happening there. But the closer... We get to ourselves, according to the poll anyway, the more optimistic we get that this will be a good year. What's that play there? Why is that? Why would that optimism not transcend? If you're an optimistic person, you feel optimistic about yourself. You feel optimistic for everybody around you in the world. And other side of the coin, if you are pessimistic about your own 2019 why would that pessimism not be also reflected in how you feel about the world as a whole? Because what you watch on TV, if you're watching the news, it's always generally negative. Perhaps that's it. Craziness in Washington, turmoil, government shutdown, North Korea, strong language from the North Korean leader, that type of thing. Would that play a role in why you'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to work out. Whereas at home, you're good. You know, Job is good. Life is good. I'm genuinely, uh, uh, generally and genuinely, I'm kind of a glass half empty guy. <laughs> There's a shock. 
the people who know me. Uh, I mean, uh, how would you declare? How would you? I would have said the same thing. Say, yeah, you, uh, you, you, and I bond over our pessimism <laughs> in life and in the news and in the halls and whatnot. No, I, I'm just more cynical than you, I think. I'm skeptical about things. I, I think I'm. Good. I think I'm more optimistic, but I'm skeptical. I question. Mm. The nine two. I got a text from the nine two zero. You nine two zero texter. You hit on the reason why I believe more people find themselves optimistic, and yet in a worldview pessimistic. Nine two zero. You hit on it. If you want to weigh in, we have just a couple of minutes for this. 414-799-1620. And just I'll ask you the question. Are you optimistic or pessimistic for 2019? We're a month in now, and maybe it's changed if I were to ask you this a month ago at this time. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Oak Creek Plumbing Kitchen and Bath. Whether needing plumbing services or kitchen and bath remodeling, Oak Creek Plumbing does it all. Side note here, do you you realize how often in our vernacular Oak Creek becomes Oak Creek? Oh, yeah. O apostrophe Mm -hmm. Creek. I try to be very cognizant of Oak Creek. It's not an easy one to say. You're anal like that. That's good for you. You work with the former mayor of Oak Creek. Yes. <laughs> How does he pronounce it? He says Oak Creek. He does. Yeah. Good for Steve. I like that. Um, in, in the time we have left here, I, I came across this, and I was kind of in, I was intrigued by the fact that a Marist poll says in 2019, 60 percent of Americans say they're optimistic about what's to come this mm-hmm. year. Good. 37 percent said they're generally more pessimistic. When people think about their, here's the line that. Um, I, th- I think uh, is revealing. When people think about their personal lives, they're certainly more optimistic. And when they think about politics and news around them, they're feeling more pessimistic. Personal lives, optimistic. News, politics, more pessimistic. Why do you think that is? Or just answer the question, where do you fall on the optimism, pessimism continuum? John and Fond du Lac weighing in. Good afternoon, John. Hey, Hi, guys. Hey, man. warm. (laughs) Yeah, we're staying warm, and uh, we're at four below right now, but the end is in sight. We're optimistic. Yeah, we're optimistic that we're going to be above zero sooner rather than later. Thanks for listening to me and let me uh, give you my opinion on this. I I consider myself a pretty average guy in in the world, and when it comes to surveys and polls, I, I never tell the truth, and I think most people don't tell the truth. So I don't know why anybody puts any stock in them at all. If it's an election, you'll find out on election day what I, which way we want. How many surveys and polls are you in, though, John? I probably have taken 12, 15 in my course of my lifetime. Okay, John, then let me ask you this. Why do you choose to lie in the poll rather than just decline taking part in the survey altogether? I suppose I could decline, but I'd, I'd rather play the game and not well, tell them the truth. Well, John, aren't aren't you in fact then you you, you don't like this is kind of off off where we were, but that's okay. This is kind of interesting to me. You say that polls cannot be trusted, 
Well, exactly. And yet, well, just, just hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, I, no, I know what you mean. Hang on, John. You say polls are not to be trusted, and that, that's fair, and polls have been proven wrong, and more recently than not, it seems. So you, you don't trust the polls, and yet when you yourself are solicited to take part in a survey or a poll, you choose to intentionally give untrue information which in turn makes the poll not trust you. You see where I'm going on this? Yeah, I hear you. Exactly. <laughs> so I say, so why take the poll? Why do they have to do that? Because they want to find something else before it happens. I know. So I will never tell them the truth. Okay. Um, but in this case, but, it's, not a, it's not an well, election thing. That, but yeah, this is just Someone optimistic. optimistic. Are you optimistic? <laughs> so let me ask you this, John. Let, let's take our own poll here, and I'll ask you to be truthful. <laughs> in, okay, here's the thing, Johnny. In 2019, are you more optimistic or pessimistic about this year? We're a month deep now, but still. Well, I'm going to retire, so I'm optimistic. All right, you're optimistic. When is the retirement date? Are we in the home stretch here? Well, sometime in the summer. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, John. Uh, appreciate yep. your honesty. That goes to your text, by the way. In our poll. Okay. Yes. Eggs. Why was John... Good. Good. Why? Excellent. Why was John optimistic? What did he say right there? He said, but well, that's because I'm retiring yeah. soon, right? This summer. He's going to put his feet up, do a little fishing. And yet, he was very pessimistic when it came to what? Polls. National polls, right? Election type stuff. So here is the theory that I have, and it, it, you know, it kind of alluded to the, the Marist Poll director. When people think about their personal lives, they're certainly more optimistic. John and Fond du Lac retiring this summer, so personally he's optimistic about the year to come. When they think about politics and news around them, they're feeling more pessimistic. Maybe it's about the poll. Here the 920. You nailed it in a simple six-word sentence. Because only you can control that. I think that the closer one feels to a situation, the more optimistic they are. Why is someone optimistic personally about 2019? Because personally, I, you, we can impact what happens in our day-to-day lives. The closer an issue or a topic is to us, the more optimistic, I believe, we are by nature. Because nobody wants to think, woe is me, everything around me, there's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And if it is that close, if it's that tangible a topic, an issue, a matter, then you can change it. And by nature, we feel that if we can change it, it will be better on the other side. I can make xyz better because that's just how we are naturally wired i think as human beings whereas on a grander scale on a larger scale kind of think of it as a bullseye we're right there in the heart of the bullseye Mm -hmm. and every ring closer to that bullseye we can reach out and touch and impact and influence and so I'm more pessimistic about issues with my neighbor. We talked about dealing with next-door neighbors. If you have a problem, if you have a conflict with your next-door neighbor, are you more optimistic that that will get solved in 2019 rather than problems in Washington, D.C.? Where you, I mean, how, how, many, how many circles away from the bullseye is what's <laughs> happening in Washington or across the world? Where we, we, we don't touch that. 
I, Scott Warris, you, Eric Bilstead, you, Kyle Pachinski, we are not impacting the Middle East this year. Hate to ruin it for you guys. I don't know if you were planning on solving that issue here in, in, in the next 11 months. That's not happening. But if you have an issue with your next-door neighbor or a coworker, you can solve that. You can fix that. I'm getting very deep yeah, here. I, yeah, I realize I, that. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's an internal reaction as human beings that the closer we can get to something in our lives, the more we think we can fix that. I can touch that. I can make that better. And thus, I'm more optimistic about things closer to me, my personal life, my career, my job, my family, my social life. I'm more optimistic about that than I am more worldly issues than I am more national issues, the national economy, could be something world that. peace, things of, uh, on that grander scale. I what just generally like hanging out with optimistic people. <laughs> You're on those Debbie Downers all the time. <laughs> I hang out with them, talk to them. But as the pessimist, then it all balances yeah. out in the end. Right. They need they need us. Yeah, but who wants to hang out with those? Hey, honey, are we going out with Debbie Downer tonight and that couple? Oh, I love hanging out with them. <laughs> Talk about all the things that are terrible all the time. Everything's awful. Uh, you oh, I can't you wait. need a couple of those. Is that why you don't invite me to things? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's that's why I've not yet to be invited to the Billstead household or Thank for any social gatherings. Up on you don't want to be around us, Debbie Donners. It's two fifty-two. We'll check out what uh, John Mercure, Melissa Barclay, and the rest of the Wisconsin's afternoon news gang has on tap. They're up next.